Good morning. And I'll welcome you to All Saints, too. Uh, we've been looking for the last couple months uh, at God's Word, trying to learn what are the habits of a healthy church. What should we be? What should we be doing? And what should we be like? And so we've looked over the last few weeks at our need for community, our need to love the Word of God, our need for evangelism and prayer, our need to train our children in the Lord. All these sermons are available on the web if you missed previous weeks and you'd like to hear more about what a healthy church should look like and what a healthy church should do. Today we're going to talk about one that maybe, maybe is, is the most popular one. I don't know. Uh, it's rest. Who doesn't like to rest? Do you like to rest? I think it's fitting to rest on Labor Day, uh, to talk about rest on Labor Day weekend, because Labor Day has been a federal holiday since 1894. It was established to honor American workers for their contributions to the strength and prosperity of the economy and to give them a day off, a break from their labor. But if there's one thing that Labor Day teaches us, it's that we're not very good at rest, right? Because we, see, we can see that elsewhere in our lives too, but Labor Day is a wonderful example of how difficult rest is for us. Because how do we celebrate Labor Day? I mean, we go full speed, don't we? I mean, it's the end of the summer, so we've got to cram it all in. It's a full weekend of food and action and adventure. And in some ways, that's very refreshing, but we're all going to probably be pretty tired on Tuesday morning, aren't we? I mean, that's just how this goes. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to rain on anyone's fun, my son and I will be camping tonight. So I'm a, part of it. I'm a part of the Labor Day action this weekend. But have you ever thought about how we wear ourselves out even when we're taking a break? Even when we're resting, we end up wearing ourselves out. I'm sure you've heard someone say something like, that was a great vacation, but now I feel like I need a vacation. How many of us have felt that way? Do you often feel rushed, hurried? Do you often feel like, you're so far behind that you can't possibly catch up, that there's not enough time for significant people or significant things in your life. Are there stacks of paper on your desk? There are on mine. Ask my wife. Do you, do you sacrifice rest and exercise in order to get more done? Do you feel out of touch with God? If any of those things is true, then you might not be honoring God's commandment to rest. Look in your bulletins. We have several passages that we're going to look at today. Let's look at the second one. It's from Exodus chapter 20. And it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So one day in seven, we're supposed to take a break. We're supposed to rest. One writer noted that this, the fourth commandment, is probably the most debated of the Ten Commandments, and yet at the same time, it's probably the least observed. So what are we supposed to do with this command? It seems so out of touch with our busy lives. We have so much work to do. And we're, we're always looking for time to get more things done, not to give up a whole day, right? You get the idea. Today we will answer two questions. The two questions are, why should we rest 
and how should we rest? Why rest? Why should we rest? A first reason is that we were created by a God who rests. And he expects us to follow after his example. God commands us to rest and he is good. And when it comes to God's commands, we tend to say, God, I hear what you're saying. But when it comes to my life, I'm wiser than you are. That's what, that's what our t- instinctive reaction is. That's our, our reaction to God's commandments. Uh, St. Augustine said, he prayed, God, let me distrust myself and instead trust in you. So we have a God who commands us to rest, and God models that rest for us. Look at the first passage in your bulletin, Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Why would God rest? Was he tired? Why would he rest? He said, was creating exhausting? Creating is exhausting for us. But if you're an infinite being with infinite power and infinite wisdom, uh, I find it hard to believe that creating would be exhausting for you. God rested in order to lead us by example toward what we need. He's setting an example for us. We were created in his image. And in resting, he's modeling for us what that means to be created in his image. We think that we have, we would all say we don't think this, but let's be real. We all think we have infinite capacity. We think we can say yes to everything. We think, well, I should be able to do that, right? I should be able to do everything. I should be able to meet all the demands of my life. But this example of God taught to us about what it means to be created in his image is to help us to remember that he is God and we are not. And that he is infinite and we are finite. One pastor put it this way. We're all busy people, but I guarantee that none of us has on our to-do list run the universe. So if you don't think that you can rest just one day, then you're probably taking yourself too seriously. That's how one pastor put it. God rested to teach us also. He he rested to teach us how to stop working, to train us how to stop and put it down and walk away. Work is good. We were created to work. That's a part of the original mission that God gave to humanity when he created them is go and do some work. But our culture has made an idol out of work. Why do we work so hard? Why are we so invested? Why is our identity so bound to what we do? What's the first thing people ask you when they meet you at a party? Hey there, I'm Brian. What do you do? Right? That's the definitive thing about you. What's the one thing you want to, everybody that you meet to know about you? I would bet that it probably has something to do with your work. We work so hard because we are trying to justify our existence. We're trying to prove that we belong here, that we should be here. We should be here, and you should respect me because of of what I do. That's our attitude toward work. And that is, as one person put it, that is a relentless lie. That is a relentless lie that we need to accomplish something to justify our existence. 
God responds by saying this. God responds by saying, stop working. Put it down. Stop working so that you can learn this vital truth that what gives you worth as a person is not what you do. Your primary identity is not in what you've accomplished. It is God's grace in Christ that gives you identity, that gives you meaning, that gives you purpose. It's being made in his image. And then when we've fallen down and been broken apart and shattered into pieces, it's him remaking us in his image. That's what gives us worth. Only Jesus' work can justify your existence. And he has already accomplished that. So we need to stop. We need to put it down. And we can stop. That's the good news. There's good news in this. We can. We can stop. God rested to teach us how to rest in him. He knows, but we don't know how to rest. One person called uh, rest the hardest thing in the world. That's what he said. Because you have to try really hard to rest well, right? Sounds counterproductive. Uh, And so God has given us a remedial course in rest every seven days. Isn't that great? We were created by a God who rests, and he expects us to rest too. That's the first reason why we should rest. The second is this, kind of an ironic thing. We think the Sabbath is a burden. We think it's a burden. Oh, boy. You know, I have to do, this, do, the, do the Sunday thing again. God's command to rest is actually teaching us what a good life looks like. God's commands do not seem that way to us. We're 21st century Americans. Not only are we 21st century Americans, we are independent Idahoans. And so we do not like to be told what to do. We do not like it. And so when somebody tells us what God's law says, we sound like, a, we sound like an attorney in court, right? Like, well, but I mean, what does that really mean? You know, we start to trying to define terms and, and finding gray areas. And anytime we hear somebody say, well, God, God wants us to do this, we all of a sudden we get into negotiation mode, right? We have an instinctive reaction to say, has God really said that specifically? I mean, did he maybe mean this? Or maybe we're much more blunt than that. Maybe when, maybe when we hear a command from God, we say, um, I'd rather not, thank you. Maybe we're, more, maybe we're more blunt. But we need to radically reconsider what we think about God's law, how we think about it. Instead of seeing it as an arbitrary list of rules that is imposed upon us, we need to think of God's law more as like an instruction manual. So raise your hand if you have ever bought something at Ikea. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever assembled something that you bought at Ikea. What happens when you try to assemble something from Ikea? What If you don't carefully follow the instructions, which are all written in sort of like pictograms, right? Um, they don't have words. It just has pictures that are supposed to show you. If you don't carefully follow the instructions, then assembling something from Ikea will take a very long time. It might take a very long time anyway. Uh, And you shouldn't be surprised if it doesn't function correctly if you haven't followed the instructions. And guess what? You're probably going to come up with, at the end, you'll have probably two big handfuls of extra parts left over if you haven't followed the instructions at Ikea pretty closely. And so I think in that, as as I contemplate Ikea, I think Ikea might be some kind of metaphor for the universe. 
We might call it the law of Ikean metaphysics or something like that. Because Ikea assembly is something like the law of God. Uh, The God who built the universe, who, like any Ikea designer, is a far greater engineer than I am, the God who built the universe has told us how he made the universe to function. It's supposed to work a certain way. It has a design. It has an optimal way of functioning. And the designer has given us instructions about how things work best. What happens when we decide to go against the design? Should be obvious, right? It's just like building something at Ikea without following the instructions. Things take longer, they don't function correctly, and we end up with a handful of spare parts that we don't know what to do with. That's what the, God, the law of God is like. We can reject it if we want, but why would we think that we understand the universe better than its designer? Why would we think that? What kind of a delusion is that? I hear what you're saying, God but I kind of see it a different way. And I I think it it probably will function better if I do it this way. What kind of wisdom is that? It's not very wise at all. The law of God is a gift, not a burden. And the rest that God gives us through his law is a gift, not a burden. The The Sabbath is God saying to us, I will provide for you. I will provide enough in six days to get you through seven. He created the world to work that way. He designed it that way. And he himself will provide for the gaps. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or do you think that your wisdom outweighs his? The Sabbath is not a burden. It is a delightful and a very badly needed gift. There's a third reason why, why we should rest. And the third reason is the Sabbath is actually more than a law. The two passages that we've read so far, Genesis 1 and Exodus 20, which one was given first? Well, the one's at creation, and the other one is many, 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 many years later uh, when the people of Israel left Egypt in the Exodus. So which one comes first? Genesis 2. The Sabbath was created, was established before the law was given to Israel. The the Sabbath is more than a law. It's not just a rule to follow. It's, It's pointing us to something greater. God gave us the Sabbath to teach us about a bigger truth, about a a more prominent reality. Look at the the fourth passage here, printed in your bulletin, Hebrews chapter four. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. The Sabbath itself, the rest that we are given in it, is pointing to a greater rest, one that is yet to come, one that we look forward to. And in this way, I'll use an analogy. The Sabbath is like marriage. Marriage is a big topic in America right now. There's been a lot of debate about who should be able to get married. But we don't talk as much about why marriage exists in the first place. Why is there marriage at all? Why did God create marriage? You know, he didn't need to, right? He didn't need to create marriage. He's created some creatures as examples for us, uh, some creatures that don't need a partner to reproduce. They just subdivide, and look, there are two of them. 
And oh, look, now there are four. And oh, look, now there are 16. Why didn't God create us in that same way? Why did he create marriage instead? Well, for a lot of reasons, I'm sure. But one of the main reasons is marriage is supposed to be a picture of a greater reality. We were created in God's image. And the unity and the diversity that are both present in marriage are meant to teach us something about God himself. The unity and the diversity that exists in God himself. And the Apostle Paul wrote that marriage was created to depict the relationship between Christ and the church. So marriage, God created marriage in the first place to educate us about a greater reality. The same is true of the Sabbath. There is a Sabbath rest that awaits the people of God. And on that day, there will be no more threats or disappointments, no more fears or failures. All interpersonal conflict will be resolved, and the wounds of all sins will be forgiven. A Sabbath rest awaits the people of God. And taking time to rest now is practicing for that day. It's proclaiming that day. It's an act of proclamation to say we can rest now. Do you know why? Do you know why we can rest today? Because there is a Sabbath rest that awaits the people of God. And oh, how we look forward to that. One writer put it this way, keeping the Lord's day is the sign that we already enjoy by anticipation the final rest. It is a confession of faith that in the end all will be well and all manner of things will be well. Our weekly rest is pointing us toward a greater rest that is yet to come. So those are several reasons why we should rest. But I know what you're, I know what you're asking. Okay, okay, Brian, you've got me convinced. I need to rest. How am I supposed to do it? You can take time to rest. You should take time to rest. But the question is always how. Now, the temptation at this point for anyone standing up here would always be to make a list, right? To make a list of things that you're supposed to do today and things you're not supposed to do today. And for thousands of years, God's people have made lists like that. But there's, here's the thing. God does not explicitly describe his own Sabbath rest. Look again at Genesis chapter 2. It just says God rested. Does it say what God did on his day of rest? It doesn't. So as we answer the question of how to rest, I just don't think I can offer a list of things to do and not do. Uh, I think anyone who answers the question of how solely with a list is not following God's own example of how to rest. So instead, I will offer you one principle and four words. And I will use those things to describe the Sabbath rest. And from there, it's going to be kind of on you to wrestle with it. And you might spend quite a long time figuring out what this means for you in your home to rest on one day a week. The one principle is this. It's our third passage on page 10 of your bulletins from Mark 2:27, And it's Jesus' response when he was presented with a list of things not to do on the Sabbath. And he said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This day of rest is a gift from God, a delightful blessing. And whoever, whoever turns this day into a restrictive curse just simply doesn't get it. 
They don't get it. I heard one pastor put it this way. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but I think it's great. Right on. Many Christians think keeping the Sabbath is legalistic because they really think that the Sabbath was a burden, a wearisome religious obligation, and they cannot imagine that Christ would not have freed us from it. And the reason they think that way about the Sabbath is because they believe, they believe the Pharisees' understanding of how the Sabbath should be observed. They think that we're supposed to be miserable one day every week just to prove that we are loyal to God. These Christians imagine that if the fourth commandment is still an obligation for us today, that Laura Ingalls Wilder really is supposed to have sat straight-backed in a chair all Sunday afternoon, listening to her father read the Bible or reciting her catechism or scripture memory, and she was to never get out to go run, laugh, and enjoy a sunny Sunday afternoon in nearby fields and woods. But here's the irony. The Pharisees in that, in that the Pharisees are still determining what the church is to think about the Sabbath day. We are still letting them teach us what it means to keep the Lord's day holy. Regulations about this and that to be sure that no one does anything that might be construed as work. And here's the punchline. This pastor says, worry less about what you can't do and concentrate on what you can do. On what the day allows you to do that is so difficult to do on other days. Do that, and you will find that the Sabbath is a delight and not a burden. Receive it as God's gift to you rather than a test that he has set for you. When you know the Lord's day as a part of Christ's easy yoke, then you will realize what a blessing it is to your life and to your heart. And then you will know, then you will know that you are keeping the Lord's day holy. And now the four words. Briefly, four words that should describe what we do on the Sabbath day. The first word is cease. Stop. Cease. Put down the things that you would normally do. Put down the things that you would do on the other six days. Turn off your phone. Turn off your email. Push it all to the side because whatever it is, I know you're super important. I know that I know that there's a lot leaning on you, but whatever it is, it can wait till tomorrow. You can. It'll be there in the morning, right? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will make it okay for you to rest for a day, for one day? Do you believe that? That's the first word, cease. The second one, it's obvious. I've probably said it 500 times in this sermon. It's rest. Rest. Do you know how to rest? On a scale of one to 10, how good at rest are you? I mean, this is kind of the irony of rest, is that on the one hand, who knows better than you do how you rest? No one, right? But on the other hand, which of us would say, actually, I'm very good at resting? I mean, maybe there are a few of you. That's fine. Uh, but rest, and here's how you start resting. Do you want to learn how to rest? Here's where it begins, and this might be counterintuitive to you. Uh, it begins with weekly worship. On Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, the passage that we quoted in the, the second passage in your bulletin, it says, uh, remember the Sabbath. Set aside time to remember, to gather and to remember together. That's what God's people have been doing for millennia. Gather and remember, pause, hit the pause button and think about the big things again. Gather and remember and be forever freed 
from our relentless self-justification projects. Trying to prove why I should be here by my work. Be freed from that. Be freed by the good news of the death, the resurrection, and the eternal reign of Jesus Christ, the Savior. So that's the second word is rest. The third word is embrace. Embrace this weekly gift. It's a, have you ever seen a gift that we are so reluctant to receive that we had to be commanded to do it? Here's a gift. Now I command you, use the gift. That's God's word to us. Um, I know life circumstances are difficult. I know maybe some of you are retired and maybe for you one day is the same as another. You know, uh, I just get up and I do basically the same thing. Some of you have uh, uh, toddlers. Toddlers don't have off switches. They don't know that today is that day, right? Lily, welcome to the community. Lily is, is going gonna, is gonna to prove to you that toddlers don't have off switches. Uh, maybe, you, maybe some Sundays you have to work. Maybe that's just your job. But it's, uh, maybe it's not possible to rest in your present life circumstances in the way that you wish you could. But here's the deal. Embrace the gift. Set apart one day in seven and make it special. Maybe you can't rest the way you want to, but make it special. Make it different. No matter, wh- no matter who you are, no matter what stage of life you're in, you can make one day a week look and feel different than the other six. Do your best to embrace the day. Make it special. And you will receive, in doing so, the gift of rest. And here's the fourth word. Celebrate. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of joy. Whatever you do this day, it should be a day, it should be a day of celebration. And what are we celebrating? We're celebrating that God is in charge of the universe. And we're celebrating that he doesn't need our help. I can stop. And it's all going to keep spinning. Everything's going to be okay. He's got this. Our mightiest work is less than a drop in the bucket compared to the work that he is doing always on our behalf. So spend the day celebrating who God is and what he is doing and that he is in charge of the universe and he doesn't need our help. So I get it, that in some sense, I'm very, very much today preaching to the choir. Because you're the ones who came to church on Labor Day weekend, right? You're not out there uh, doing all the Labor Day weekend stuff, right? But I'm not just preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself, I need this. You know, normally I take Fridays off every week. I didn't take Friday off this week, because I was what? Why didn't I? Because I was too busy. Just the same thing that everybody else says, right? And then I wonder why I feel worn out and weary, right? Here I am. Uh, I'm preaching to myself here as much as I'm preaching to you. So I'll conclude with this fantastic good word that I read from another pastor. This is, I'll, I'll close with this. The Sabbath for Jesus was a day to spend with people. People of all kinds, friends and foes alike. It was a day to enjoy a meal with them and to have a conversation about important things, to be a friend, and still more, with believers, to be a brother. And I want you, therefore, to be a people who call the Sabbath a delight, 
who honor the Lord's day and keep it holy. I want you to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy precisely because you understand what a great gift you have been given in that once a week holiday and how much of God's love and kindness for you lie in that day for you and for others. I want the Lord's day to be a day of joy and pleasure for you and your families to be the very best day of the week. It ought to be. Parents, set out to make it so for your children. Believers in Jesus Christ, do what he did and keep God's law in the happy and fruitful way that he kept it. In the company of others, doing good and speaking good after being refreshed yourself in the worship of God's house. That's a great vision. Who doesn't need more of that in their life? The good news is God has carved out a space so that you can go and follow his example. Amen.